Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear our Easter message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Our Risen Lord. Christ is risen. Man, aren't you thankful today? Our resurrected Lord rules and reigns. If you have your Bible, I'm in Revelation 1 this morning. Revelation, the first chapter this morning. That's where we'll find our text. Pastor, shouldn't you be in one of the Gospels? If you remember, I preached from Revelation 12 on Christmas Eve. So why would it surprise you that I'd be in Revelation 1 on Easter Sunday? Amen? Amen. Revelation 1 is our text this morning. The 10th verse through the 20th verse is going to be our text today. Amen? By the way, for some of you, Merry Christmas and Happy Easter. Amen? Amen. Some of you I haven't seen since last Easter or may not see till Christmas, so amen. Happy Thanksgiving and all that may fall in between. But I would love to see you next Sunday, amen? Amen. You know, we do this every week, right? We do this every week, so come and join us, amen? Amen. In all seriousness, if you made your way here today, we're glad. And we hope you are blessed by the service today. Hasn't this choir and orchestra done a wonderful job today leading us? Amen. Amen. Beautiful job. Amen. There's a phrase that occurs over and over in the four Gospels, and it recurs in the book of Revelation, and it is a, it's a simple little phrase. It's four little words, and the words are, do not be afraid. Would you say that with me? Do not be afraid. Matthew 28, verse 5, the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. A few moments later, Jesus appears on the scene in verse 10 and greets the women. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren that I go before the and there they will see me. Amen. In Mark 16, Mark's account of the gospel again, we find Jesus saying to them, the angel saying to them rather, Do not be alarmed, for you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So over and over in the gospels we hear, Do not be afraid. Amen? Well, in the book of Revelation, Jesus once again says these words at the beginning of the New Testament and at the end of the New Testament. You have this, this phrase, do not be afraid. Say it again, do not be afraid. And so in Revelation chapter 1, we find our text today, the risen, exalted Christ speaking to John on the Isle of Patmos. And John recounts what happened to him on that day. Verse 10, I Spirit on the Lord's day, say the Lord's day, that is Sunday morning, from earliest times the Christians began to sort of distinguish themselves from traditional Jewish practice and rather than meeting on the Sabbath day they met on the Lord's day and the Lord's day was the day of resurrection, the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead. We find Paul in Corinthians saying when you gather on the first day of the week 
bring your offering. And so we find out this was custom in the early church from earliest times to meet on Sunday morning as we've gathered today on the Lord's Day. So John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I hope you're not just here on the Lord's Day. I hope you're in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Amen. Notice what he says. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a band of gold. Head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, here it is, say it with me, Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you've seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstand. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and his people said, Amen. In this passage we're told what John saw. And then we're told what Jesus said. Over and over we find this all through the book of Revelation. I heard Jesus and then I turned and saw something about Jesus. And so we have this back and forth interplay. And Jesus gives us in this passage four good reasons why still today we do not have to be afraid. So do not be afraid. Christians do not have to live in fear. We don't have to be afraid because Jesus has conquered and he is victorious today. And he gives us four specific ways in which Jesus is our champion today. We don't have to be afraid, number one, because Jesus is the Lord of history. He is the Lord of history. History really is his story. Verse 17, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. The first and the last. Listen to what Jesus says. The words that come to John in this passage. Jesus makes it very clear who he is and what he has accomplished. Verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. If anyone knocks on your door with a magazine and tries to tell you that Jesus is not Almighty God, Open your Bible to Revelation 1 verse 8 and hand it to them and let them read it out loud. Amen. Jesus is the Almighty. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus is God Almighty. Amen. 
He says it right there in his word. He is the Lord of history. When John writes the book of Revelation, the Christians are not in good shape. They are persecuted. They are harassed by the members of the Jewish community on one hand and by the Roman government on the other hand. They were hated equally by everyone around them. Society was squeezing them and pressuring them to give up their faith in Jesus, to give up the belief that he was God. Soon many would be imprisoned. They would have their property confiscated. Many of them would face torture and even death or martyrdom for their faith in Christ. John writes to remind them that no matter what, no matter what happens on the earth below, their Savior still reigns in heaven. And Jesus is still the Lord over human history. He, they don't have to be afraid and neither do we. From the first pages of Genesis to the last pages of Revelation, Jesus is on the throne. It doesn't matter what's happening in governments around us, Jesus still reigns. Our God is still on the throne and he is king over all. That's what the word of God tells us. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth, the Bible says. And we can trust in him today. We don't have to be afraid no matter what's happening with a dictator in North Korea. No matter what kind of nuclear weapon is being developed abroad. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. Regardless of what the government of China may be doing. Regardless of whatever the Supreme Court may decide about abortion or immigration or health insurance or whatever the issue of the day might be, Jesus is still on the throne. He still reigns. Amen? Amen. Another great phrase that we say around our church is, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. That is the message of Easter as well as every other day. It doesn't matter what kind of turmoil you may be in personally today. Your private world may be in uh, shambles today. You may be facing great dilemma in your life. You may be under pressure. Things may not be going well for you in your family or in your home. But can I tell you today, Jesus still reigns. God is still on the throne. Your Savior still sits above the universe. And we can rest in that fact. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus is in control. He's not sitting on the throne drinking Maalox, wringing his hands, wondering what he's going to do. He has a plan and he's working that plan. And all things in history are moving toward that great final day when Jesus will come again. And he will split the sky and he will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. And nothing will hold him back. On that day. Nothing. The Lord reigns. No wonder the prophet Isaiah said. Who, he's measured the water in the hollow of his hands. He measured heaven with a span. He, who's calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Who has weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who has been a counselor and taught him? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as small dust on the scales. Before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. He brings the princes to nothing, he makes the judges of the earth useless. Who does that? The Lord Jesus does. No authority compares or even comes close to his authority over the earth today. He rules and reigns. 
Isaiah 46 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Jesus reigns supreme today. His plan will stand, and whatever he has set out to do, that he will accomplish, because he has all power and all authority in his hand. Amen? Amen. That's what John heard. Now look at what John saw on that day. He says in verses 12 to 17, I heard this voice saying these things to me, and I turned around to see who was speaking to me, and Jesus didn't look anything like the last time John had seen him. The last time John saw him, he was risen from the dead, and his wounds were there in his hands, his side, and his feet. But he still looked very much like an ordinary man when he ascended to heaven. But on this day, when John sees him in the Spirit, he sees not only the resurrected Jesus, he sees the exalted Jesus. Not only the risen Christ, but the reigning Christ on the throne of the universe. And he says, I saw him, and he had a flowing garment. That speaks of the dignity of our Savior. The longer your robe, the more powerful and glorious was your reign. In fact, the kings in the Old Testament, every time they conquered a king, they would cut the train off the end of his robe and they would sew it to their own robe. And so the longer your garment, the more battles you had won. The Bible says when Isaiah saw God high and lifted up in Isaiah 6, his train was so long, he had won so many battles, he'd conquered so many enemies, the train of his robe filled the temple today. Jesus has a garment flowing down to the foot because he has defeated every enemy today. He is Lord of history. He said, I saw a golden band around his waist that speaks of his kingly authority. He said he had hair like wool that speaks of age, eternity, and wisdom. He's the ancient of days. Now, Jesus shouldn't have had white hair. He was. This has only been a few years since Jesus had risen from the dead. It's a symbol, though, that Jesus existed in heaven with God the Father long before he became human in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was with God in the beginning, John 1 says. All things were created by him. He is the ancient of days and his hair like wool bespeaks of his eternity from one direction to the other. John said, I saw him and he had eyes like a flame of fire. His flaming eyes let us know that he sees everything and he beholds everyone and he can pierce into the depths of the human heart. Nothing is hidden from him. All things are naked and open before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account, the Bible says. And the Bible says those same eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. I'm thankful today that the eyes of see me and they see my circumstances and he's looking out for me to support me because I belong to him today. Eyes like fire. 
He said he had feet like brass. That speaks of strength and stability. He stands and nothing can move him. He had a voice like many waters. His voice sounded like Niagara Falls thundering whenever John heard him speak. This tells of his overwhelming power and unlimited authority. The Bible says he had a two-edged sword in his mouth. The word that comes from his mouth brings judgment on the disobedient. But then he said he holds the seven stars in his right hand. Those stars represent the messengers, the angels, the the pastors of the churches in Asia Minor. And he holds them in his hand. I love this because that means the pastor's in the hand of Jesus. Amen. I'm thankful for that today. Why? Because the church is in the hand of Jesus. Jesus holds this church. You don't have to be afraid today. You are in the hand of the risen, reigning, omnipotent Lord today. And you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is the Lord of history. Say the Lord of history. In Revelation 5, John has a vision of God on the throne. And there's this book. It is a scroll and it's rolled up and it has seven seals on that book. What that means is he would have had a scroll like this. And you unroll and there's a seal and you have to break that seal. And then it tells you the next thing that's going to happen. And then you have to break another seal in order to open the book. And the book had, the scroll had seven seals and you had to be able to open each one to find out what was going to happen next. The scroll was the book about the future. The scroll that John saw tells what's going to happen to the earth. It is the destiny of every nation and every man and woman on the earth. And there it is in the hand of God. Aren't you thankful it's in God's hand? Amen. And the Bible says in Revelation 5, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll and written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one under heaven, no one in heaven or in the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. What does it mean? It means that no human being, none living, none dead, not an angel in heaven has the authority to control the future. Only God holds the book of history in his hand. But notice what happened next. John said, how will we know how it ends? Will we ever know if the world is going to come to a good conclusion or not? Will we ever know if good wins or if evil triumphs in the end? And the Bible says John was weeping because he didn't know how the story would end. And the Bible says then someone tapped him on the shoulder. And one of the elders said, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then he says, who is this lion of Judah who is powerful enough and worthy enough to take the scroll and unlock the future of human history? The next verse tells us, verse 6 of Revelation 5 says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. I want to tell you on Good Friday it looked like Jesus had lost, but what the...
know and what the world didn't know is that when he gave his life on Calvary, he took back from Satan the keys of death and hell and the grave and because of his sacrifice God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord and he alone has the authority to take the book and open the seals and tell the future. Why are you not afraid about what's happening in the news? Because my Savior holds the future in his hands. He's got the book in his nail-scarred hand. I don't have to worry. Aren't you worried about your future? No, I'm in his nail-scarred hand. I don't have to be afraid. Jesus is the Lord of history. Say the Lord of history. He said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Amen. We don't have to be afraid. He's the Lord of history, but he's also the Lord of life. Say that. The Lord of life. I love this. Jesus says to John, verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Here he is, this risen Lord. I love the way the writer of Hebrews describes it in Hebrews the second chapter. He said, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same, so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We don't have to be afraid of tomorrow, and we don't have to be afraid of death. Amen? Jesus is not only the Lord of history, he's the Lord of life. I love the way Eugene Peterson renders this verse in the message. He says, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it is logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. I love that. By embracing death, taking death into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life Scared to death of death. I love that. Are you scared to death of death? You don't have to be. Jesus has conquered the grave. He has risen today. Amen. Max Licato tells about this, uh, this understanding in, in a little book called Six Hours One Friday. Uh, I've told the story on a Sunday night recently, but I'll tell it again because some of you weren't here. Amen. Amen. Max Licato tells the story of a group of native tribesmen in Brazil and they are in need of medical attention. A, a plague, a disease is sweeping through their camp and people are dying. Just across the river there is a hospital nearby where an antibiotic could be administered and they would be saved. There's no reason for them to die. Medical treatment is available for them if they'll just cross the river and go to the clinic. But they won't cross the river. They're terrified of the river because they believe that evil spirits inhabit the river and that if you try to cross the river, you'll never make it across to the other side. The spirits will pull you under and drown you and you will lose your life. A missionary was there and he knew if he could convince them to come across the river, their lives could be saved and they could receive the life-giving medicine at the clinic. And so he goes and he tries to persuade them. He goes out into the water and they're still not convinced. He wades out waist deep and still they will not join him in the river. He takes his hands and splashes the water up on his face 
But still, the tribesmen are unmoved on the banks of the river. Finally, he turns and he dives deep into the water and he swims underneath and his head pops up on the other side of the river. And when he steps out safely on the other shore, a cheer goes up from the natives and one by one they dive headlong into the river and they swim through to the other side. Why? Because they watched somebody go there and make it through. Amen? Can I tell you today, that's what the Lord Jesus did for Christians today. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to fear the grave. Why? Because my Savior dove into the icy water of Jordan River and he came up on the other side on the third day and he lives and he says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they won't overflow you. Amen? I don't have to fear the icy cold water of Jordan because Jesus is the Lord of life. 2 Timothy 1 and 10, by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life the gospel. Jesus killed death. Say that with me. Jesus killed death. He abolished death. He made it of no effect to us. Now that doesn't mean that we don't die physically. But it does mean that physical death is not the end for us. He's taken the sting out of death. We don't have to fear the grave any longer. The Bible says that. John Owen writes, we see the death of death in the death of Christ. I love that. Death is a reality we all must face. There is a six-foot hole waiting for me at the end of my life. And the scarier reality is I don't know when that day is. And neither do you. All I know for sure is sort of like a milk carton. Somewhere stamped on the bottom of your foot when you got here was a date that you're going to leave here. And I want to tell you, you may can shorten your day, but I doubt you can extend your day. And you are going to leave this world one day, and if the Lord tarries, it'll be by way of the grave. You're going to leave, and you're going to exit this life in death. And in that hour, will you have confidence or will you be terrified in fear? That's the question today. How will you face the hour of your own death? The reality is we will all face that grave one day. And there's only one man who can get you out of that grave at the end of time. And that is the Lord Jesus who died and rose again. Amen. Paul explains it this way. This matters to us. This is why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. There is no Christianity without the resurrection of Christ. I hear people say, well, pastor, do we really have to believe that he literally rose from the dead in the body? Do we have to believe that miraculous story in order to be a Christian? Yes, we must. Everything we believe stands or falls on this tenet alone. Hear me today. Well, doesn't it just mean that his spirit lives or that his teachings continue? Hogwash. It doesn't matter. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, why should we believe anything that he said about life or eternity? But if Jesus rose from the dead, then we should take seriously every word that comes from his lips. Because he's the Lord of life. Lord help us, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most miserable. 
Christians don't have to fear the grave. Why? Because we know there's a back door on the tomb. And even though I step into death, whenever, listen, whenever they close the door on this side of the grave, Jesus will open the door on the other side of the grave. Amen. It's not a dead end. It's a hallway between this life and that life. It's a tunnel. It's a passageway. And when you know the Lord Jesus, he'll meet you and he'll lead you safely through that passage. Amen. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Oh, he's talking about when the Lord comes at the end of time. Jesus was talking to his 12 disciples. None of them would live to see the end of time. I believe in the hour of my death, when I close my eyes here, the Lord Jesus meets me there and grabs me by the hand and receives me. And my last breath here is my first breath there. And when I close my eyes in the darkness of this place, I open them in the light of heaven and I see Jesus face to face. Praise the Lord. Colossians, Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. He's the first one, but he's not the only one, and he's not the last one. He's just the first one who rose from the dead. You and I, too, will join him in his resurrection. His resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. He says in John 11 and 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Amen. Jesus is the Lord of eternity. Say Lord of eternity. Verse 18, he says, I have the keys of Hades and of death. He has the keys of hell and death. Because of his death and resurrection, he holds the keys to what happens to us after this life. He has the sole right to determine the eternal destiny of every individual man and woman. You say, well, I know God will judge me. Let's be more specific. Jesus will judge us on the last day. Jesus. You say, does the Bible really say that? Yes, it does. John 5 and 22, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son. The Lord Jesus, he has the right to judge me. He died on the cross for my sins. And if I receive him, then he has the right to say, My blood was enough. Allow him into heaven. But if I reject his work on the cross... Jesus, the one who paid the price on the cross, has the authority and the divine right to exclude me on that day and to say to me, depart from me, I never knew you. Wow. You see, what you always thought was true in life is definitely true in death. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Anybody ever been passed over by a promotion because you didn't know the right person? I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how loudly I stand on the White House lawn and say, I know Donald Trump. They will not let me into the White House. But if he sees me across the lawn and says, hey, Daniel, how you doing there? Come on in. Then they'll let me in, won't they? It doesn't matter if I claim to know him. The question is, does he know me? Does Jesus know you today? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That's the question. Why does that matter? Because on the last day, it will not be some random person. It will not be some generic God from whatever religion you may have followed. It will be the risen Lord Jesus who died and rose again sitting on the judgment throne. And he will be determining what happens to your eternal soul forever and forever. And you better know him and meet him right now. 
and be ready for that day. Because it's not what you know, it's who you know. Finally, Jesus is the Lord of his church. Amen? He's the Lord of his church. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the lampstands are the seven churches. I love the first three chapters of Revelation. Every time you see Jesus, you see his church. Where is Jesus? Walking around those seven lampstands. Going from one church to the next to the next. If you want to find God, if you want to meet Jesus, go to church. Oh, pastor, I can have an experience with God all by myself. Oh, my dear Stan, you cannot have the same kind of experience that we have when we gather in church. No, you can't. Jesus is present in a way when believers gather in his name that he is not present for us individually. Is Jesus with me individually? Yes, he is. But not to the same degree or in the same manner that he meets with us when we gather together for worship. And you know that it's true if you've ever been in the house of God. Amen. Oh, I I can be okay on the golf course. You don't feel what we feel here on the golf course. Especially if you shank the ball and it goes left. You don't feel this on a deer stand, especially if you miss. Amen. You don't. There's something about gathering. Jesus said it doesn't have to be a large group, but if two or three will gather in my name, if they will gather for the purpose of worshiping me, I'll show up in the midst of that group of people. I love that. The early church knew whenever they gathered, no matter when or where or how few, when they gathered together as the church, Jesus would be with them. He would be in the midst of them. He promised them that. I love that. We are, when, whenever they worshiped, they understood they were gathering before the throne of God. And they may be a small group, but they're not the only group that's gathered before the throne. Because even though two or three of them may be gathered in front of their communion table, they knew that across town there was another table with another group of Christians. And three cities over, there was another group of Christians. And two countries over, there was another group of Christians. And the number was growing and growing and growing. And by the time you get to Revelation, the Bible says, around the throne there was a number no man could count out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation today. Amen? So today, we gather today. And it's not just us in this building, who've, but we've gathered with Christians from all over the world. We're part of a throng no one can count. Through Jesus, we've come into the very presence of God and we've gathered before the throne of the universe. We are around the same throne as those Old Testament saints like Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah. We are gathered around the same throne today in worship as the 12 apostles and the martyrs like Stephen, the saints down through all the ages. We're gathered around the throne today with our loved ones who fought the fight and finished the race ahead of us. We're gathered around the throne with them today. I can't see them, but I can't see Jesus either. But I know I'm at the throne, and I know Jesus is here. The other people around that throne are my friends and my family and my loved ones who have gone on and they peer over the balcony of heaven and they shout down to me, keep running, don't give up, run the race, you've almost made it, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. Amen. If we ever catch sight of that reality, 
It'll change the way we worship and sing. It'll add faith to our prayers. It'll give life to our praise. It'll give power to our preaching. It'll reconnect the way we sing on Sunday and the way we live on Monday. Colossians 1 and 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But that's not the highest thing you can say about him. The highest thing you can say about him is this last thing Paul says. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I want to tell you today the church is not on the sidelines of the world. The church is at the center of what God is doing in the world. Don't be confused and don't be distracted. Pastor, you don't talk a lot about political things in the pulpit. Why would I talk about some lesser government, some lesser ruler whose reign is going to last about that long when I can stand here and tell you about a God whose reign stretches from one end of eternity to the other end of eternity? The nations are a drop in the bucket. They are dust on the scales when they're measured by God. The church is not some dusty old tradition to be pushed to the edges of society. Our religion is not a cut flower arrangement to dress up a drab life. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. And that means the church, not the world, is the center of everything. On that day when he comes again, every other kingdom will fall. All the great world empires will land on the trash heap of history. Every ruler's knee will bow from Herod to Genghis Khan to Adolf Hitler to Barack Obama to Donald Trump and whoever else is in office on that day and all of them will hit their knees and they will lift their hands and they will say Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. The Archbishop of Canterbury laid the crown on Queen Elizabeth's head and say, May you wear this crown until he who has the right to take it from your head shall appear in glory. All the rulers of the world would do well to remember that there will come one who will call for every crown to fall at his feet. Amen. Jesus is Lord. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Revelation 11 and 15, and there a loud voice in heaven said, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I want to invite the praise team to come back and join me this morning as we prepare to close this service of worship. I'm asking you today, please stay if you at all can. Reverence the Lord on this holiest of mornings. Dear brothers and sisters, my message to you is that spoken by the angels. Do not be afraid. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. You don't have to live in anxiety tonight. The four words spoken by Jesus on this first Easter morning, repeated by him in Revelation, do not be afraid. Our risen Lord reigns from heaven. He controls human history, conquered the grave, possesses the keys to eternity, and holds the church's destiny in the palm of his hands. Amen.
Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. This team is going to come back and lead us in one final anthem, declaring the worth and the value of our Lord, the reign and the resurrection of Jesus. The song they're going to sing is taken from Revelation 5, the passage I've been alluding to this morning. Revelation 5 says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, what is our response to all these things? Two things. Number one, if you have never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, if you've never repented of your sins and asked God to forgive you, for being a rebel who ran his own life and tried to be the king of his own little kingdom, if you've never repented of that rebellion, if you've never bowed the knee to Jesus, if you've never surrendered to him and acknowledged that he's the king and you're not, or the, or the king and you're not the queen, if you've never had a moment like that, now is the time. Now is the time. Before you meet him on that great and final day, seated on a judgment throne, Come and meet him today because today he's seated on a throne of grace and mercy. And he will forgive you and he will bring you into his kingdom. And he will make you part of his family. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, it's time. Admit that you're a sinner, that you've committed sins, that you've rebelled against God. Believe that when Jesus died and rose again on the cross, he did it for you. And his blood was enough to cover your sin. His cross was enough to grant you forgiveness. Believe the gospel today. And then commit your life to Jesus. A, B, C. Admit, believe, commit. Commit your life to God. Surrender your heart to Jesus. Trust him and invite him in. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus. Then heed the words. Do not be afraid. Say it. Do not be afraid. Rejoice today that your Savior is Lord of heaven and earth. Let your soul find rest in the fact that your life and future are in the hands of the Lord of history. Rejoice in the fact that Christ's resurrection has conquered the grave and turned death into the doorway of eternal life for all who believe in him. The altar's open for prayer this morning. Jesus died and rose so your sins could be forgiven, so your broken relationship with God could be restored, so that you could be free from the fear of death and the dread of judgment and the sentence of eternal separation from God in a place called hell on that last day. Come trust Jesus today. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, I've done my very best to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, that you have died and risen again, and that you reign in glory, and that you are coming soon to rule the nations. Father, I pray today, if there's one under the sound of our voice today, who cannot rejoice and rest in that fact, that today would be the day that they repent of their sins, and they come to trust Jesus as Lord and master, and they give their whole life to you as an offering of worship. In Jesus' name, God's people said. Remain standing. This team's going to sing, and as they sing, you worship. But if you need to pray and meet the Lord, I invite you to come.
come today. The altar is open for you. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.